Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. Is loyalty the new CAC? The post-purchase consumer journey represents a multi-staged opportunity to drive loyalty and customer lifetime value, deriving greater margin from the investment in D2C. David Morin, Senior Director, Retail and Client Strategy at post-purchase platform provider Narvar, joined me to bring to life the various stages of the post-purchase journey and how brands are intensifying their focus to drive trust, transparency, and advocacy making every customer feel like their most important customer. So David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I, I'm super appreciative and I can't wait to dig into the space that, that you and Narvar are, are in for our listeners today. Yeah, thanks Peter for having me, excited to, to chat. Okay, so I'd like to start by getting a reaction to a headline and subhead from an article from Jason Bornstein. He's now at Forerunner Ventures, but he formerly ran acquisition at Bonobos. And the headline was, your CAC, customer acquisition cost doesn't matter, subhead, the brands of the next decade will win with loyalty, not acquisition. If Jason said that to you at a bar, would you buy him a drink? Yeah, <laughs> Do well, you agree? Uh, I think it probably, <laughs> probably first depends on what bar we're at. But, yes, true, uh, true. but, but absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I love chatting with um, all different types of experts in the, in the retail industry especially ones who are starting to carve innovation for how brands should be thinking about uh, both their acquisition channel, which I think acquisition still plays a huge part, but really more long-term thinking about how loyalty plays a huge part in long-term growth uh, of businesses, big and small. And so tell us a little bit about um, where Narvar fits into that. And particularly, you know, you focus a lot, I think, on, on the direct-to-consumer space, the sort of the journey over which brands have presumably the most control, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Narva today um, plays a part in almost every stage of what we call the post-purchase journey. So uh, Narva has a variety of products, features, and services starting at the time of checkout uh, to better set customer expectation. And then everything as the product and shipments make their way to the customer, um, of course, over the last, I would say, three to five years have innovated in the space to keep up to date with new uh, methods of delivery that retailers and brands are offering and then closing the loop on the returns in as well. So how do you take care of your customer after you actually have shipped a purchase? Um, does a customer need to make an exchange or make a return? Uh, and I think we really view that loyalty is the most critical part to long-term customer lifetime value. And that having a positive experience at every step of the post-purchase journey is super critical um, to have that repeat purchase and loyalty within your customer base. Now, when you engage with, with brands that are thinking about this post-purchase stage, how many of them are using customer lifetime value as a measurement when they start with you? Are they, is there a, I don't know if there's a, a generalized sense of, of how that shows up, but how sophisticated are people at that moment and sort of how do you move them through that, that thinking? Yeah, I think, you know, to be super transparent, uh, I think that's still a data point or KPI that we're really excited to work with our retailers to partner on. Uh, I often say that uh, having a great customer lifetime value metric is the holy grail of retailer data and especially DTC data. I think admittedly, um, it's still a very new space. You know, I think the, the headline that you pose is exactly where I see a lot of retailers are today, which was 
previously hyper-focused on acquisition, starting to transition their thinking towards loyalty and lifetime value. Um, so I would say, you know, retailers who join us or who have been with us are at various stages of where they are in their own internal journey to measure lifetime value. I would say the most sophisticated retailers that I've worked with and Narvarez works with have a nice handle on unifying data sources across different channels to really have a complete uh, kind of golden picture of a single customer. Uh, and then others we know are more fragmented and are working towards having more unified data sets to be able to actually measure it. So I think everyone's on their own journey um, based on uh, you know, how legacy of a retailer are they are, how legacy their systems are, uh, what their core competencies are. But what I do see is more and more retailers come to us um, or grow with us to really understand why it's important to start thinking about lifetime value today. And have you found a particular champion for this process? Because you know, so often, you know, you you uh, you must see it too. The the people that listen to our podcast, the folks that are out there creating this sort of e-commerce transformation and and really driving growth at these companies are are needing to convince, right? They need to inspire. They need to educate, like why companies need to go on these journeys because they're not just a technology purchase. They are really a change management. Thing and so, who are those people often um, at at those companies, and and what is that process and sort of people investment that you see them going through to, to kind of start making progress on this sure. side of the journey? Um, well, I would say the first thing that I always um, say is one of the most exciting things for me about working at a company like Narvar is, I mean, we really believe that we were the pioneers in the space of post purchase, and and I only mention that as a response to your question because I think what's really exciting in the industry now is ten years ago post purchase was a relatively new word, um, people weren't really using it uh, or even thinking about it. And if we flash forward to where we are today, there's so many retailers that we work with who have entire teams and roles with post-purchase in their job title, which I think really speaks to how um, the importance of taking care of the customer, not only in the acquisition and purchase phase, but what happens after purchase has really grown in importance. Um, in terms of who we work with, you know, I think, um, there are a variety of different stakeholders who have inputs and ownership over that metric. I would say maybe most common is someone in like a senior level e-commerce role who's looking after the holistic e-commerce experience. Um, but there are you know, many retailers who have very targeted teams um, focused on reverse logistics and measuring how changes to the reverse logistics or returns process can drive um, customer impact specifically around satisfaction. Uh, and entire dedicated teams about outbound logistics and how improvements to outbound delivery, communication and transparency can, always, can also impact the customer experience. Uh, and then another key point that I would say a team that has an input is also customer insights. So really being able to understand how the programs and changes that are being put in place on the outbound and inbound experiences are actually driving customer response. Uh, one of the things that I think is most important today is measuring customer satisfaction. Um, you know, what we know in the industry, um, both from studies that we've done at Narvar, but also kind of widely available in the industry is that if you can see, uh, you know, even the smallest increases in measurable satisfaction, either through um, CSAT or net promoter score or other satisfaction measures, you can actually um, drive incremental annual increases in overall revenue. Um, so that's one big thing that we help our retailers measure as well. So that 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 must be the part the 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 case studies that you love to write right which is where you can sort of line up these activities with actual increases in in revenue and 
and uh, and all sort of all the activities that come along in the post-purchase cycle. And so when you sort of rattled off some stages of the post-purchase funnel, how does um, how does Narvar fit into those those various stages? You know, it's sort of a higherish level. Like, how does it fit into those stages? What is it enabling? Um, yeah, so you know, at a high level, one thing that we focus on with our retailer is how do we help drive satisfaction uh, in each stage of the post-purchase journey in order to drive repeat purchases and loyalty. So as we look at what's important in driving satisfaction at each stage, that starts at the time of checkout, which is better setting customer expectation about where and when a delivery will arrive and allowing the consumer to have more control over that experience. Uh, I often think about that, um, you know, as Amazon, who was one of the first companies who uh, really did that uh, and set expectations with consumers, which is how do you provide an estimated delivery date at the time of checkout? How do you give your customer the flexibility to choose what delivery date is best suited to their need? How do you unlock potentially different avenues for the customer to receive the good? Is it shipped directly to your home? Uh, do you know you're not going to be home, so you want to ship it to a nearby convenient pickup point? Um, after the order has shipped, then it's really about how do you keep your customer up to date about where your delivery is as it makes the way to the consumer. Um, so we focus on two pieces there. One is having uh, robust, transparent email communication and also communication across other channels. Um, SMS communication, push notifications. Uh, at Narvar, we've done a lot of exploration with voice as well with the core goal of having ultimate transparency in that process so that customers know exactly where their shipment is and are also able to adjust their expectations if there's any um, exceptions or unexpected events in that shipment. Um, and then there's also the ability to service customers within a, a beautifully branded track experience. You know, I think that's really critical in terms of keeping your customer in a branded environment, being able to uh, really touch your customer at every stage and also re-engage your customer with critical information, um, either that will help them with their delivery. So, um, for instance, for electronics retailers, we've seen a lot of retail, uh, retailers choose to use those touch points as a way to surface how-to marketing content to really set their customer up for success. Um, in health and beauty, we've seen a lot of retailers who use tutorials uh, and things of that nature. So all with the mindset of how do you make sure your customer, once they receive the good, has a really positive experience. And then on the once your customers receive the good, um, you know, there's a whole chain of um, services around how do you actually facilitate a digital return. Uh, and on that end, one thing that Narva really focuses on is driving speed, choice, and convenience for consumers. So allowing consumers to um, choose how they want to return, when they want to return, and where, all with uh, driving, um, again, convenience leading towards ultimate satisfaction. Yeah, I saw a new piece of research the other day from um, management consultants Alvarez and Marcel and retail economics that said by 2025, UK retailers would lose 11 billion in profits due to an increase in online returns. Like, so within that experience that you're talking about, what do you have some case study um, color that you can bring to what changes can be made that are, that are going to uh, hopefully reduce that 11 billion by a bunch of billion if Narvar does its job right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that data point is um, a very, very interesting input that we should definitely be having a conversation about. You know, from my mind, when I think to back like five, 10 years ago, um, it seems that one of the dominant sentiments in the industry was how do you deflect returns or how do you minimize the cost of returns? 
I think we were already on the path towards consumers expecting digital returns and convenient returns. Uh, and then, of course, uh, with the onset of the pandemic, I think a lot of the trends that we are already seeing have certainly accelerated. You know, so what we see today is that digital returns are here to stay and that they are uh, a really table stakes offering for any retailer or brand who is offering e-commerce uh, transactions. So I, I say that because I think that while we know uh, digital returns might be expensive or a place of overhead, I think there's a lot of importance um, to one, making the consumer experience on the returns, uh, the easiest, the best, the most full of choice and the convenient. And then also how do you operationalize that digital returns experience using data, using uh, intelligence in order to try to reduce costs as much as possible um, on the kind of supply chain or operational side. That's kind of what I'm interested in digging into a little bit more is the, the cross-functional conversations that need to happen in order for, because you can create the best experience in the world, but the, the rest of the company kind of needs to go along with delivering that. Do, do you often find that, um, that the process of adopting your platform drives some of those conversations and puts more pressure on that happening? Or are, are you able to use some like quick wins to sort of show where the opportunities are to save costs? Or what, what are kind of the, the metrics that drive uh, the adoption of the, the better returns process? Yeah, I think, again, everyone comes to us in a different stage in their own um, journey. You know, some um, retailers come to us who are very much in that change management process. They've had a legacy system in place whether it was providing a label in the box already or some other system that they were using. Um, and that becomes obviously a, a work in first kind of a, a walk or crawl, walk, run approach where it's like, how do we just kind of meet the, the status quo? And then how do we work with that retailer to unlock additional capabilities and help them see the value? Um, whereas other retailers come to us, maybe they're a smaller retailer or a newer retailer who really wanna make a splash in the space and are really bought into you know, the, the different functionalities that we offer on the platform to drive convenience. Um, ultimately, I think it's what I always talk to retailers about is first, just think about who you are as a consumer and what you're looking for. Uh, you know, one thing that we saw a big trend in through the pandemic is a lot of consumers went home. Uh, many consumers don't have a printer at home anymore. Many consumers were using their office printer or were leveraging their uh, office mailroom to facilitate returns. And so that really drove a business need um, so one of the features that we've seen strong adoption is, is what we call printerless returns. Um, so instead of having an actual printed label, providing a digital QR code to um, a consumer that allows the consumer to take that digital QR code to an approved carrier location and have a label printed for them. Um, in the pandemic, we saw some retailers have as high as a 30 to 35% adoption rate and consumers choosing to use that method over wow. other methods. And then we also saw that it also had um, immense operational benefits, especially in the pandemic, is that because we are removing a friction point for consumers to not have a printer, because consumers had the knowledge of uh, convenient locations to use those uh, QR codes, they were actually completing the return faster uh, so that those goods were making its way back to the retailer faster, which then eliminates the time that inventory is dead, allowing a retailer to reintroduce that inventory back into their supply chain and sell it again um, hopefully we'll avoiding any markdown. Um, so that's, I think, one great area where we've seen how focusing on customer experience first actually has benefits throughout the entire reverse logistics operational supply chain as well, um, which I think is a, a new way of thinking for many of our retailers. 
So David, I, the, the stat like that, the, the, you know, the higher than 30% adoption rate of the digital returns, that was, that's one of the things that really brings the value of this investment in a strategy for post-purchase to life for me. What, what are some of the other sort of top KPIs that people are using to, uh, to mark their progress through this journey that you have? And, and are there any that you can share, obviously, without giving away confidential information? Yeah, of course. You know, I think one retailer that has really grown with us um, throughout the last, I would say, you know, five to 10 years is Levi's, which is a great partner of Narvar. Um, and they've made a lot of changes over the last 18 to 24 months as we've grown with them and their turns in. Um, specifically, they launched printerless returns last year. Uh, they also added in um, proactive returns communication. And so not only were they communicating to the consumers very proactively about the status of their outbound shipments, that they were also communicating to their consumers about the status of the return shipment. And so even after the consumer has used a digital QR code, how do you keep your consumer in the loop about where it is and that process making its way back to the retailer? Um, I mentioned them because I think uh, one thing that they've shared with us is that they actually saw a measurable increase in customer satisfaction after they added in those two services. So it really speaks to um, if you keep your consumer at the forefront of your strategy uh, as you're building these new post-purchase tools, uh, you can really increase um, immediate satisfaction, which as we talked about before, also we know will eventually lead to increases in customer lifetime value and annual revenue. Yeah, that the, the, the sort of the, the triple threat of trust, confidence, and loyalty, or maybe loyalty is the result of being able to build the first two. I'm not quite sure where, or it's a virtual circle. You guys probably have diagrams about it, but uh, I just, I, I just, you know, any consumer who has gone through a returns process that is not ideal knows what it's like when it just works. And it feels like the company has invested in your longer term relationship. Definitely, yeah, you know, again, I always go back to like, what do I want as a consumer? Um, if I think about who some of my favorite retailers are, they're really the ones that have built trust with me through really consistent, reliable and easy experiences. So one of my favorite retailers that I shop with most frequently is Matches Fashion. Um, they are a UK based retailer that really specializes in uh, luxury apparel and accessories. And I go to them not only because they have a really great curation of assortment, which is um, you know, highly important in today's e-commerce world, but that they also have a super consistent and reliable service model for both the outbound purchase and the returns. Um, everything ships in two days. It comes in a super beautiful box and everything um, is easily returned within two days uh, and refunded quickly. And so over time, um, matches, at least with me, has built that trust that no matter where I am or when I order, it's going to be the same experience every time. And I think that is a really powerful notion that we try to discuss with our retailers as well, is how do you build that connection? How do you build that trust? And how do you provide that reliable, convenient, easy, and beautiful experience every time? So that next time your consumer is shopping, uh, they think of you first because you've had such a great experience. Yeah, it just lowers the risk for the consumer in engaging in another purchase. Because you, you, if, you, if you have that confidence and that trust, you know you're more likely than not to enjoy the product. And if by some reason you don't, you know that it won't be a nightmare to try and, and be treated fairly and with, uh, with grace. So I, I, I think that's, that's a really cool example. Absolutely. I would also say, you know, it was particularly important, I would say, in the pandemic. You know, what we know is that 
Uh, as more and more consumers shifted to e-com over the last 18 months, more and more consumers were trying out new brands, uh, new e-commerce experiences. And so having that really great experience on that first transaction was hypercritical to uh, really inspire loyalty. Uh, and we know that specifically returns can be a, a big friction point. Um, in a NARVA study that we conducted last year, we found that 76% of first-time customers who had uh, what they would rate as either an easy or very easy ex returns experience uh, said that they would be more likely to shop with that retailer again. Uh, and then the, obviously the inverse uh, would be true as well. And so we know that having that really positive experience at every step of the post-purchase journey is critical to then inspire a customer to um, purchase again. Yeah, not to offer dueling research, but uh, Salsify's did a consumer research this year and 86% of consumers said that they would be willing to pay more uh, to buy from a brand they trust. And I know that's not like, yeah, I mean, it, but that's a, a really high number. Not, not like incredibly surprising, but the willing to pay more is the thing that, that really struck me because for many brands, direct to consumer is their least profitable channel, uh, particularly for a lot of our legacy brands that you know, have been doing business uh, across retailer channels, et cetera, for, for in some cases, hundreds of years. Um, but in companies that you work with, when they invest in the post-purchase cycle, have you seen that start to improve through, uh, through those actions? Yeah, you know, I uh, will be uh, super honest and transparent. I don't know if I have the expertise to comment on the profitability of a, a wholesale channel versus a direct-to-consumer channel. But what I can speak to is um, how I think there is a very clear shift in the industry to more brands and retailers who might have been historically legacy brands um, really focusing on direct selling channels for a variety of reasons. I think very publicly over the past 18 months, we've seen brands like Levi's and Nike and Crocs and Under Armour uh, make very public statements about reducing their wholesale partners in an effort to uh, one, have more control over their experience and two, to strengthen their direct to consumer channels. Uh, you know, someone like Nike, I think has made a, a very aggressive stance in towards um, you know, very publicly saying that's a goal. And that includes not only improving their direct to consumer um, e-commerce channel, but also really thinking about what the format of physical stores as well. I think that's all in a goal to have uh, more control over the end-to-end -end customer experience, more data that they can use about their customers to know who their customers are, what their customers want, and how can they inspire their customers to purchase again. And to really build that brand to consumer trust through transparency, experience, uh, and options. Well, so, so just to close, you know, going back to the top where Jason Bornstein said the brands of the next decade will win with loyalty, not acquisition. Uh, assuming that the sort of hopefully the post-pandemic era that we're in now is kind of a new decade uh, because of so many new practices and, and relationships that have started up um, with brands and consumers. What, as people think about their strategies for 2022, is there a test and learn approach to this? Um, you know, either with your platform or without, you know, how do people kind of crawl, walk, run to your point? Um, where should they focus first in this, uh, in this long journey of, of post-purchase consumer loyalty? Yeah, I think that um, the first mindset is really just starting to shift the thinking um, kind of as the article or headline pose is that it's not just about acquisition. It's also about lifetime value and loyalty. And so shifting, I think, your strategic thinking to really 
embrace the concept that, of course, you're always going to want to acquire new customers. Of course, you should always be investing in ways to acquire those customers, but really thinking about how do you retain that customer. Uh, and that could be as simple as, um, you know, launching one new um, really valuable touch point within a post-purchase experience. And that could be as robust as deciding that you're going to go big this year uh, in building that direct to consumer channel and, and really owning every step of the way. So I, I don't know if there's like a, a first step other than really embracing that mindset first and thinking about uh, what each stage is in the customer journey. How do you improve each of those stages to build the things we talked about, you know, uh, management of your own shipments, uh, building trust through transparency and reliability and consistency, um, you know, using convenience as a competitive advantage uh, in every step and thinking about those as different um, tenants of your strategy and how you can make your improvements throughout uh, your own post-purchase journey. Well, David, I, I really appreciate you coming on and sort of expanding certainly my vision of, of what's possible in the post-purchase uh, journey. And, uh, and we really appreciate you sharing it with the Digital Shelf Institute audience. Thank you so much. Yeah, Peter, thanks for having me. Uh, hope, you, hope you found it valuable. Thanks again to David Morin for joining us. Genius alert, we've released some new research written for the DSI by Kiri Masters of Bobsled Marketing that outlines the key drivers of profitability in e-commerce. Could help you rethink how to drive more profitability now and in the future. Check it out on the research page at digitalshelfinstitute.org. Thanks as always for being part of our community.